Can't believe we uh, really decided to use Astronomia for our podcast jingle. <laughs> so welcome to the Glass House podcast. I wish I could tell you what we're going to talk about in this episode, but I have no idea since there's a million things to be talked about. And I'm joined by my friend Habib Beg, who's in a town called Halifax in England while I'm here in my room in London. How are you, Habib? I am good. So yeah, we'll be having a bit of a whistle-stop tour of interesting topics and conversations me and Zane have had over the past few weeks. And we're just going to see what sticks. Although we did say we're going to start by talking about astroturfing. Yeah, I, I guess we did plan it a bit then. So we left off talking about astroturfing, uh, which is a term for when it's a fake grassroots movement. Essentially, a rich person or an organization manipulates people into organizing them and leading them to believe that it was their idea. And on social media site Reddit, there was a post where literally overnight, you, you must have seen this on the news overnight, groups were protesting the quarantine, especially in the United States. And so there was this user on Reddit called Dr. Underscore Midnight. And he had this super detailed investigation. He basically uncovered how all of this was mass astroturfing. The descriptions of each Facebook groups uh, were pretty much exact. And they'd all been registered overnight. It was all super fishy. What's your take on it, Habib? Yeah, so that was a pretty insane little story, which has gone mostly unnoticed, it seems. Uh, we even had the president... Uh, we, we all know his history tweets, but he was actually retweeting this essentially fake news and fake grassroots movement. And for me, one of the most interesting parts was that it was just all uncovered by one guy on Reddit. Um, now, Reddit for, seems to be like the epicenter for a lot of these things. Uh, there are whole subreddits dedicated to uncovering astroturfing and sort of uh, corporate infiltration social guess media. A lot of other users will criticise um, users and make sure they have a detailed investigation. Yeah, there's there's a sort of culture of anonymity on Reddit, which I don't think you really mm. have on sort of Twitter and Facebook. Uh, we even saw how they uncovered uh, pretty inane examples of it. Disney uh, apparently fabricated 2,500 fake reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, a very respected reviewer, no. to make it look like the new Star Wars, which I thought wasn't too bad, but still, the new yeah, Star Wars is a lot better. Than real? No, like this... it was uncovered entirely. Well, this this was, again, a Reddit investigation, which um, is, because it is anonymous, we never know 100%. Like, so it's, it's not Snopes. It's not a, it's not a Channel 4 investigation. Okay, yeah. It's just a person behind the internet. So you can see that as a good thing. Or you can see it as a bad thing. This one was pretty intense, though, because it was a massive thread. And then someone else pointed out that as soon as Trump tweeted, uh, liberate like Virginia and different states someone a minute a literally minute afterwards went and purchased all those domains so these groups that were protesting the quarantine yeah. there was one registrar behind it these domains it was you know one person again and people are you know the media's buying into it when they are believing that these are real protests and then Trump can claim it was the will of the people and it's it's just terrible especially since it's related to Corona. I was wondering how long we're going to go without mentioning the word Corona. You know, it's kind of like, um, <laughs> you know, you know what Godwin's law is. Uh, when Hitler gets brought up, uh, yeah, basically yeah. when a conversation goes on for long enough. Well, it's happened now, but a conversation goes on for long enough, and somewhere down the line, Hitler or the Nazis get brought up or compared to, and I, I feel like we're going to have the same sort of thing for Corona. In what way? So. Like, for example, right now, Corona got brought up. I think even in five years down the line, 
if if you did something and like, oh, I learned this song on guitar. When did you learn it? It was you know during twenty twenty or whatever. And oh, so some twenty twenty, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Or, or even even teapots, right? Let's say okay, let's say I've I've come to your house and you've got a mm-hmm. nice teapot. Yeah, and then you you bring up like oh where did you buy it from just make sure no one else touches infectious and then corona gets brought up but yeah maybe we can call it glass house law yeah it is yeah, the glass house law it is <laughs> one of the most momentous things that's happened in the past century the world has never been shut down or country uh-huh. has never been shut down to the level it has so i think i think it's just it's inevitable really that it's gonna be and you, you, what, the other thing you were talking about is the impact this has on so many things um yeah. you, you know about it more in depth but if i was talking to a friend of mine who uh mentioned briefly about the impact this has on architecture which i found was really interesting uh yasmin yeah. if, you're, if you're listening to this do come on and talk about it but it was sort of an approach which focuses on having minimum physical contact i think architects may focus on developing things that are more isolated rather than having groups of people especially yeah. in the short term yeah so there's gonna be a big impact on like like you're saying, uh, architecture and infrastructure. Uh, what I found really interesting is how it's going to impact transport. Like, okay. Transport's been shut down. <clears throat> Sorry. It's, there are record low numbers of drivers on the road. There's record low numbers of train journeys. The commute has been totally disrupted. There's less train journeys happening now than at least in the past half century, uh, I can't fully remember the statistic, but it's, it's had a pretty massive impact. Um, the government has actually renationalized the railways very quietly, but essentially what's happening right now That's is the government is well, paying yeah. for the government, for the railways to be run. After two, three decades of arguments, oh my I still, God. Oh. That's my uh, robot What's assistant, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's got a robot assistant. <laughs> <laughs> two, three decades of arguments about how we should never have nationalized in the first place so yeah um the impacts have already been pretty insane uh, but the big thing is obviously that people are working from home now um it's because it's become obvious for a lot of companies and a lot of workers that outside of certain roles sort of b2b roles you don't need to be in an office mm-hmm. there's gonna be less yeah. need for drivers there's gonna be less need for commute trains so and i think you were mentioning why does that mean we need to live in a city if all the work? Yeah, 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 exactly. Does have to be so done in a city. If you, if you consider companies that will switch over to working from home as a default because they can and they can cut down yeah. costs, and if you're if you've decided simply to move into a metropolitan city, um, regardless of what the increased costs are, simply so you can yeah. be nearer to your office because you need to be there, people are less likely going to have to be near an office, and so there's less of an incentive to work towards you know, saving up to live in a metropolitan city and all yeah. the other downsides there are. Which is, which is so many, like, we might be, we might be uh, extrapolating this impact a bit too far, but this could have huge reaching consequences. The brain drain, for example, from rural areas and from towns into London, for example, could be totally reduced. Real estate prices in London, commercial real estate in London goes for an absolute oh, that's premium. So that, if that so falls, so, sorry? That's exciting, I'm saying. Yeah, so I should have to edit that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's going to have so many big impacts. And the fact that we're living in, in the turn of this essential revolution, that's exciting. Yeah. You know what I was thinking about in terms of transport, when you said transport? Mm. So 
I think people are going to be more attracted towards singular forms of transport. And yeah, I, I, I love electric scooters. I think they can change the world in so many ways. Hmm. I think bring world peace, right? We can discuss that. <laughs> but, so, no, no, okay. Let me just clarify on that point for a second, right? You've got these things. So the company Bird, which uh, is the fastest unicorn in history, a unicorn is a startup that reaches billions of valuation. They've done such incredible stuff they expanded so quickly and then the way the business model of these electric scooters where people can literally charge them themselves um and they're illegal in the uk it's astonishing exactly. you'll go into any european country you'll see them on every street car ah, it's in london in the uk nowhere yeah and especially considering how things are right now it's a singular form of transport but the interesting thing is it's also a shared service and so Mm -hmm. while it's singular which is attractive it's shared service which might be quite off-putting so maybe we move towards a, a larger kind of um, increase in private electric scooter this shared mobility is a massive thing uh we we if we look at motors sort of uh uber ola lyft all of that mm -hmm. that's ride hailing micro mobility such as bike shares e-scooters mopeds that's a big thing car shares all this stuff has existed in the past there's no reason we can't bring it down to short journeys in e-scooters yeah it's just like about the bike thing people yeah. might be cautious you know someone else used it before and people are still yeah people are still yeah. using sense in the bikes but um the so e-scooters law is quite interesting in the uk so they're currently illegal and from what i read recently is they are looking to change that and i, I think it's overdue but yeah they're looking to change it and legalize it um, as part of a wider plan to encourage green transportation and things like that. But I, I, so they, the way they justify the illegality of this in an act from 1835, it's interpreted and it's under the same category as horse carriages. 1835. Yeah. That's insanity. And there's been no updated re legislation since. Yeah, English law is something on its way. I think um, I, I, have, I have this written down. It says Section 78 says something along the lines of if any person riding any horse or beast or driving any sort of carriage. So the same thing that's <laughs> categorizing electric scooters is classifying it almost as a beast. As a be I mean, they're not far yeah. off, to be fair. No, do you remember? Uh, well, me and Habib, actually, we spent so much time on electric scooters in uh, Copenhagen. Wasted a lot of money on electric scooters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Denmark. Uh, which was quite an interesting story. Uh-huh. Yeah. Do you remember um, the guy we met in the hostel? Oh, do I remember the guy we met in the hostel? So, yeah, we went to Copenhagen uh, just as a random midterm trip. Um, we didn't spend a lot of money on it, uh, despite what our friends may think. But, yeah, um, just in this cheap little hostel. And with us was just this Ukrainian nomad who... Uh, sold drugs on the dark web and yeah yeah, yeah. Just moved from country to country he told us you know um i haven't gone back to ukraine because there was a war and i don't want to go back because i'll be drafted and then we're like you know how are you making your money living in switzerland and stuff and he's like i trade and then you know about a few hours later actually i sell drugs on the dark web <laughs> it's just like oh, all right okay and he, he was open to the fact of giving us some uh, but i mean yeah leave that for another day um, so yeah, then, no, we had we had some little adventures uh, with this guy. Um, we were only we were there for about two or three days, uh, and I think the highlight was definitely us almost getting indoctrinated into Scientology. Oh god, let me tell you how that happened. So we were just walking down the streets, figuring out what to do, and this person approaches me with them. Um, they're like, you know, do you want to do this personality test? 
And I was like, I love personality tests. Of course I want to do that, especially if it's in real life, right? And um, Habib's just in the background like, no, no, this yeah. is not. <laughs> I already knew it was happening. I'd seen this thing. Not like, good idea. But I knew I was what he's like. So. Yeah, I was completely okay. clueless uh, as to what Scientology is because so this personality test was going to take place in the church of Scientology. Habib, what is Scientology? How can you explain it? Yes, Scientology is essentially, it's, a, it's an American church. It was founded uh, in the mid 20th century by a guy called L. Ron Hubbard, who was a sci-fi writer. Um, we don't actually know if he believed in his own religion. We think he did, but he um, wrote a book called Dianetics, uh, which is essentially, it's hard to explain what it is, but the simplest way to explain is it's essentially a, a guide to fixing what's wrong with you and a guide to living life. Um, so yeah, th- this is a this is their Bible of sorts. And one of the key concepts in Scientology is this thing called, um, oh, is, 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 is it, I forgot what it's called, but it's, it's basically a personality test. Uh, and then Yeah, that's they, how they start you, off. They, they do a personality test. They do yeah. a personality test. And then what they, they give you sort of ratings on a few different things, such as how nice you are, how agreeable you are, how knowledgeable you are. And then they fix these in focus sessions, which will last for hours and hours. Uh, which oh, Zane almost yeah. signed up for. <laughs> no, I did. I, I sort of did. So what happens was, once I did the personality test, and uh, I wish I could show how the room looked like right now, but it, it, was, it, just, it was just weirdly clean. It was full of white. It was just like, like yeah, it was disturbingly captivating. A solid form. It's crazy. It was disturbingly captivating. Yeah. I, I, I kind of liked it. But so they made us sit down and they handed us these tests. The one thing, the person who was six six, bald and had, you know, his eyes, it was like he was always staring into you. And <laughs> he, he looked at me holding this piece of chocolate and was like, you should have this chocolate. And I was like, <laughs> okay. okay. So, so I, I took it and put it next to me. And then he's looking yeah. at it, just expecting me to eat the chocolate. And you know, I was like, why not? It's, it's just chocolate. Mm. And so he was really adamant for everyone to eat that chocolate, which I still don't know what, what it did. But I, mean, I don't was... remember eating it, so might have, might have Yeah, I've that. never suspiciously been offered chocolate. As <laughs> yeah. And I do the test, which took about an hour. And then they call us one by one to speak to their consultant. And the consultant, the Scientologist, sits down with mm. you. She really does this dramatic thing. This is after a 200-question personality test, by the way. Yeah. Oh wow. That <laughs> we went. We went to a whole different country for three days, only to spend hours uh, just sat in this room. Uh huh. And yeah. So she's she's looking at me and she's like, you know, this is high. Uh, Was you dropped as a kid? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> she she came out with some real lines. She told me uh, that I don't know how to speak to people. I think something like that. And she told <laughs> the Ukrainian guy that he's addicted to drugs. It was great. I mean. I was dropped as a kid. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and then she went further down the line and then told me how I'm never going to get married if I don't buy this book. And she's probably, she's like, no, you're not going to get married. You need to buy this book. You need to yeah. listen to what we're talking about. And then I took down her phone number and I swear to God, I'm going to invite her to my wedding if it ever happens because she was trying to sell me an 80. Oh, I guess around so Yeah. And after that, what happens is you attend more sessions. And then obviously I didn't do this after that. We didn't, we didn't buy the book, but it's really serious. What happens after this is, you know, you attend more sessions and they will tell you to cut off family members and really indoctrinate you into uh, so many things that are just, it's just dangerous. 
yeah, there's this YouTube series I was watching about Scientology, and he he went into one of these sessions, and he had it was a really traumatic experience he had in his life, of him breaking his uh, ankle or something along these lines, um, and he he knew before he was going into the session because he was recording it for YouTube that he was going to try get indoctrinated, like they were going to try oh, wow. and change his opinion on it. Yet regardless, six, seven hours later, they managed to transform his idea of this own experience, which was the most traumatic experience in his life, into something that was positive. They made him think that, oh, it was great that I broke my leg. It was like a moment of transformation for me. And that's like almost an insight into the kind of delusion maybe these people Was he have. genuinely deluded though? Was he? He genuinely to... came out. And until his friend who was there with him that day, like went over with him and told him exactly what happened, he, hmm. he was fully who's fully convinced of this new sort of version of events the Scientologist had put into him, even though before he knew he was going to get interrogated, which I, I find absolutely crazy. Yeah, no, I, I'm glad we didn't take it further, although I don't regret trying it out. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't rec recommend anyone else to do it. So, yeah, so, so that was Copenhagen. Um, and man, I miss traveling. Where, where do you think you go to once this is all over? Oh, I want to get out of the European bubble, I think. Oh, you reckon? Yeah, Bali, somewhere. Like <laughs> what about you? Macedonia, man. I was thinking Macedonia. about it. Yeah, I was. I was really thinking about. I I don't know what my obsession is with visiting places that are like ex-Soviet or just have loads of statues. Macedonia has loads of statues. I mean, it's it's astonishing, really. Google uh, Macedonia. Yeah, and what, what the, are they? the funny thing is, they're meaningless. They're absolutely meaningless. meaningless. So, yeah, so I was speaking to a taxi driver. I think taxi drivers are the best people you can speak to, especially Definitely, in Europe. Yeah. But here's a pro tip. Um, I, I want to hear your method as well after this. But as you know, so what's your method of avoiding getting scammed by taxi drivers abroad? Avoiding getting scammed by taxi drivers? I mean, I think when we went on Interrail, we kind of avoided taxi drivers in general, didn't we? Yeah. Do you remember? And we went to Budapest and <laughs> Charlie, what was he saying? Like 30 euros to go a mile. And we're like, yeah, now we'll walk. I think I guess that we had apps there as well because they yeah. were I think now with technology, you know like the average sort of taxi price. You don't need to get scammed if you don't if you put a smidgen of effort in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With, with me it's once I get into the taxi, I try and talk to them, but talking alone doesn't necessarily make them not scam you. So I yeah. ask them, you know, they'll ask me, you know, where are you from? And I'll be like London and then they'll look at me confused and then I have to explain like, you know, I'll my parents are from Pakistan, I was born in London. And then once that confusion's out of the way, then uh, I'll ask them, you know, what's your favourite football team? And it was like, I'll be like, what's your favourite English football team? I was like, oh, Barcelona. <laughs> and then the thing is, pretend they're also your favourite football team as well. So they're like, oh, you're a Barcelona fan as well. So nice. you try to become friends with them. I mean, that's not a bad idea. Exactly. I think, you know, once they, you develop this human connection, especially around yeah. uh, football, they, they will literally... It's worked, I think, nine out of ten times. I don't know. You should try that in Pakistan. <laughs> I mean, as long as as long as they speak just a little bit of English, and especially if it's in Eastern Europe, that yeah. works. You know, the football method. Anyway, Macedonia. So, yeah. this place, I was I was going through, and there's this really prominent statue of four people in front of a desk. They're really looking at each other as if they're doing something serious, and I'm thinking wow, that, that must be something so significant. So I asked the taxi driver, you know, what, what's this? What's the history about this statue? So and she was like, well, my friend, nothing. 
<laughs> and, then, and then yeah so he, he said something i think it was after 2014 they built a ton of statues that right. look great and they're huge but they have no historical significance it's simply for touristic purposes and i mean I guess must they have become a tourist attraction themselves given that they are just so pointless i mean it works i want to go again yeah <laughs> just to see what they are like. they have this there's, really there's cool some statue. pretty cool uh, statues about around the world uh, in london you must have seen the the one the vomiting one no yeah i don't know where it is in, in thing it is it's just so weird it's just normal rock and then just a head and then out of it is just water coming out and then in uh, the traffic light tree in london as well you know what you've you've probably seen more landmarks in london than statues are pretty interesting around it, it gives like a little insight into what people where they are what so where the statues yeah. are behind important apart from in macedonia obviously where it's just pointless there was there was one statue that was you know coming out the river and they look beautiful at night anyway uh that's that's a little about statues Hmm. the the, here's here's another thing i wanted your opinion on and we didn't discuss this before but yesterday they announced the nhs contact tracing app oh is it finally a thing yeah so they've announced it do you you know much about it i don't know much about it i don't know so I was reading something online about Apple and Google teaming up to use Bluetooth low energy for the purpose of this will always be on. And if it's on for other people, it will keep track of information. So not your location, but information when you've been in contact with certain people with that mode also on. So if you go past someone, it will make, um, you know, the time when you went past this particular person. And so the NHS contact tracing app works in this way where you let's say you're just going outside, even if you're going for a run, if you've passed other people and a few days later you develop symptoms, you report it on the app. And then every person who's been nearby you at a certain time, they'll be alerted through the app that you know you've been uh, with someone who has symptoms or have tested positive. Again, this all sounds good, but like I assume you can only know this once one of the people has been tested. I mean... Which is such a slow rate right now that... It's it, the structural issue is just how quickly the tests are going out. Though of course, the use of the symptoms thing. Then, yeah, I guess it's safer if you've just got symptoms and. Wait I think they already they already tested this. I think because um, back when it started, I don't know if it was in just in England, but a few thousand people, I think, did go into this trial. Huh. Yeah. The, the best place that seems to have dealt with it so far, because I was super interested in how. Um, you know how differently South Korea dealt with it to China? It wasn't super different, but yeah, in terms of South Korea does have a lot of monitoring. Then yeah, South Korea. Yeah, in terms of contact tracing, I suppose everyone's been inspired by South Korea because they back when the first few cases came, they would use any resource at their disposal. They used to go on um, CCTV cameras, they used to check sort of metro records and mm-hmm. get in contact with every single person who'd been in contact with an infected person, which is like a level of sort of government that I don't think the UK is uh-huh. to anytime soon. It's it's a lot of invasion, but, you know, I thought about it. And so you've got basically someone who's tested positive has gone through a particular path mm-hmm. on a particular road at a certain time. Yeah. And then every person nearby, or if you usually go through that path, you'll be alerted that, you know, someone with positive, uh, someone yeah. who's tested positive went through it, try and avoid it. And then it also tell you on this online website how long ago they were. And I just thought, you know what? That is ah freaky but extraordinary. In the park near me, 
So Stratford's Olympic Park, the entire screen they have on the stadium is like, keep a two meters distance, stay safe. <laughs> it's the most dystopian thing ever. Yeah, I think a lot of people are making this thing. Like, uh, it was at Queen Elizabeth Park as well. There's just a massive sign saying, make sure you keep a distance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whilst obviously it is from a good place, I assume, like they want people to not get coronavirus. Um, it's not hard to imagine like other orders being put on screens, like in nineteen eighty four, which is, um, I guess, it's scary. But and then Piccadilly Circus, yeah. you know, screens that have always, always been used for commercial purposes. Mm-hmm. It's got a picture of the Queen and it's got a quote about her. You know, we're going to get through this and <laughs> some insurance. It's crazy. That's mad. You see, this is the exact thing about godwin's law for corona i was just about to say yeah we've just brought it straight back to the glass house law we were talking about macedonia and it ended up uh, glass house law um there's gonna be tons of interesting stuff going on yeah i i'm excited to see what happens and i think we're going to join back for another episode in a few weeks yep anything five or six new interesting topics cool um if you guys have any feedback questions what you liked us talking about what you want us to talk about more the length, anything you want, feel free to let me know. Feel free to let Habib know. And thank you for listening to this podcast if you thank made you. it this far. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> do, 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 do.